Welcome to Baking with House of Bread. I am your host, Sheila McCann. In today's episode, we are going to discuss the popular orange cranberry burst. I introduced this loaf and dinner rolls for the Thanksgiving season, and people tell me that they look forward to their cranberry orange Thanksgiving dinner rolls all year long. In commercial businesses, you have to be introducing something new all the time because it keeps the interest up and people get excited, especially during the holidays. But uh, pretty often they don't sell that well. They're kind of flops. And, And I can tell you that this loaf has been a big crowd pleaser. My philosophy in naming breads is to use something descriptive in the titles that people have an idea what's in the loaf. And so I learned this the hard way because I did call Loaf Darwin and had everybody asking, okay, well, what's, what is Darwin? And then I kind of joked about it and saying, well, it's the evolution of nine grain white wheat bread. And one of my customers didn't like that. So they didn't like the whole evolution word about that. So um, you don't want to be controversial in, at, at all in retail. So now we call it cracked grain. Anyway, so we already had uh, orange cranberry walnut, which is quick bread, and then we have the yeasted version of orange cinnamon swirl. So that's where the burst came in, in the name for this bread. And I really like the word burst because I think it really does describe the flavor in this loaf because it does have bursts of cranberry. And also, too, we use orange zest in this, so you do get some burst of the orange as well. And this recipe, you're basically going to yield about two standard-sized loaves and, 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 or you can do it all in dinner rolls. And these are the type of dinner rolls that are on my Thanksgiving table. Okay, this type of dough is a yeasted bread and thus the temperature of the ingredients is important. And so what you wanna start with is a cup of warm milk, um, approximately 100 degrees, um, not boiling, not even as hot as hot coffee but rather think of it as kind of like very warm, um, like the temperature of the water you'd wash your hands in. And we all have different microwaves at different strengths, but what I would start with, just microwave it for a cup of cold milk for a couple of minutes. And if you, and just put your finger in there and see how it feels. If you actually push it to the point where the milk is boiling, um, just put it in the refrigerator for a little bit. And then you can add in all the other ingredients. And by the time you are done with that, the milk will be, ready to use. Okay, so then a half a cup of warm orange juice. It's the same temperature range as the milk. And two packages or one and three-fourths tablespoons of active dry yeast, and then five cups of unbleached bread flour. And I'm going to include this recipe in the show notes, so don't have to bother writing everything down. And also, I prefer to use the um, bread flour, but you can use all-purpose flour. It'll work too. And if you want to substitute some wheat flour, I would suggest starting with a cup of wheat flour and then subtract a cup of the white flour. And you certainly can use two cups of wheat flour, um, but I wouldn't really go much more than that because this is sort of a, um, a soft, rich uh, type of texture that I'm looking for in this loaf or dinner roll. It's the kind that melts in your mouth. Okay, so then you add, speaking of melting your mouth, you add a quarter cup of melted butter. And then the salt, one tablespoon of salt, 
and you can use any kind of salt, uh, table salt's fine. You just want to avoid the big chunky salt. So I don't want to use rock salt. And also that pink Himalayan, Himalayan salt. It's I've nothing against that sense of salt. It usually comes sometimes in bigger pieces that just don't disperse well in the doughs. And then a quarter cup of sugar, granulated sugar. And then one egg and the one tablespoon of orange extract. Now, if you don't have any orange extract at home and you have lemon extract, then just use that. Um, and then one orange zested. Now, if you don't have an orange and want to use a lemon, you can, but first of all, you're going to have to use about half as much lemon um, because it's stronger. It's just like the difference between tasting an orange and lemon. But I really think I would recommend getting the orange because the zest is, and the oranges is really where you're going to get the, um, the, the orange flavor. And what the orange zest is, it's basically, it's that oil-rich outer skin of the orange. And the essential oils in the zest is what makes it extremely flavorful, which is why a lot of recipes call for it in addition to orange juice or orange essence. And the process of removing the orange zest is known as zesting. And it's a little tedious, but it's really easy to do. And, and they're easy to buy. It kind of looks like about the size of a ruler and it's got a handle and then it looks like cheese grating in there. Um, and that's what you do is you basically, you kind of grate the outside of the orange um, to get your zest. And then you kind of, you want to make sure you avoid that, the white stuff underneath it because that's kind of bitter. Then you can buy these tools. Uh, it's like 10 bucks, maybe 15 at the most. And what I'll do is I will put one in the show notes to example of one that's on Amazon so you know what it looks like. And if you don't have one, you don't have to buy one either. You can use a cheese grater or uh, a vegetable peeler works and a sharp knife. And so how I would do it without an orange zester, I basically just basically slice very thin pieces of the peel from the orange using that vegetable peeler or a paring knife. And just the peel. Remember, don't add that bitter white pith part. And then chop the peel into small pieces like you would chop like a garlic coat. Um, if you think of it like chopping the peel up until it's like smaller than a sunflower seed, you just want it fine enough to be dispersed properly in your dough. Now you can also buy dehydrated orange zest from Rocky Mountain Spice Company, which I will include a note in or a link in the show notes for that too. Um, and it doesn't go bad. I mean, so we buy a whole boatload of this stuff during the holidays because it's cheaper to buy in bulk and it'll last all the way, you know, for a couple holiday seasons. Um, so you don't have to worry about that. And then and it's freeze dried, right? So, and you can also, if you have a bunch of oranges, you can zest a whole bunch in advance and, and freeze it. And what you want to do though is to prevent it from being watery once it's thawed is basically microwave it or whatever, warm it up and put it on racks paper and then let it sit for about an hour until it's dry. And then you, um, then, then you can use it. Okay, so you want to add the tablespoon of orange that is listed in your recipe. Um, and then the breakdown is, is that, so one orange would equal one tablespoon of orange zest. Now let's say you've got a bigger orange and you've got like a tablespoon of half of orange zest, go ahead and just throw it in. And if you have an orange and you're not quite at a tablespoon, it's okay. Just go ahead and um, just use that. Okay, so now we're ready to start. And what you wanna do is you wanna proof the yeast, which means basically just testing it to make sure it is still active. To do this, you 
just place it in a bowl and then add some warm water until the yeast dissolves. And if you add sugar to the mixture, you should see some bubbles, which will appear as the yeast is fermenting. Okay, and then what you want to do is put that in the big mixing bowl um, and then add the flour kind of slowly. Okay, so for hand kneading, you just stir the mixture with your hand. I mean, you can use a wooden spoon, but I'm, I really recommend you use your hand because that's really, you get a better feel for the dough. And you want to blend all the ingredients until it forms a ball and that basically it breaks away from the sides of the bowl. Now the dough should stick to your hand, but if it sticks to your hand or it really makes it very difficult to get it off the sides, then just add a little more flour at a time. And keep in mind, it's going to take time for that dough to absorb the water. So this is where you have to really be patient. Okay, just keep mixing. And it's, you know, it feels kind of weird when this, it's like this blob is kind of sticking to you. Um, it, but what you can do is remove the dough the best you can away from your hands. Just dunk your hands into flour. So you kind of flour in your hands a little bit rather than dough. Because you'll use, lose yes, less at that point. Um, and then start mixing it again until... It's um, it still is going to be sticky, but it's going to allow you to gather into a ball. Now, conversely, if the dough feels stiff and doesn't stick at all, then you're going to have to add some water. And you want to be careful not to overcorrect. And so just add like a teaspoon or so at a time and then just keep kneading or mixing it until you think it's about right. Okay, so now what we're going to do is even some more kneading. Um, I like to get the dough started in the process in the bowl. And, and I tell you why, because it's a lot easier to add water into the bowl um, than it is once you get that dough mass on the table. And um, so get the right amount of moisture content to your dough first. And now we go on the table and now your kneading begins. So you basically, you start with the palm of your hand, you're pushing down away from you on the center of the dough. And then you take your fingertips grab the top of it, fold it over, and then push again with your palms, right? Because your strength is in your palms. So you're pushing your palms, do a quarter of a turn and do the same exact thing. So you continue this process basically of pushing, folding, turning until the dough has a smooth, satiny, elastic kind of texture. So this can take, I mean, it can take five minutes or it could take 10 minutes because it really depends upon your, your kneading ability. And in the show notes, I'm going to put a link to our YouTube channel and I've got a video demonstration of kneading techniques. Okay, so if you're using a mixer, it's basically you want to start with the mixer on a little bit of a lower speed um, until, and you still got to feel it with your hand, right? So you start it on a lower speed, get it into that ball, and then start feeling it and see if you get an idea if the moisture content's right. Um, and again, if it's sticky to the point you can't even pull your hand away, add a little bit of flour at a time. And if it feels tough, add some water um, and then just keep on mixing. Okay, so once you get to that point where it's a good dough stage, what you want to do is put your, your dough back into the bowl and just cover it with a towel. Um, and it's going to rise and probably takes about an hour and a half. It's nice to have it in a warm spot, um, but you don't have to. If it's a little bit cooler, it's just going to take long longer, but you want to make sure it gets to about double in bulk. I mean, there actually is proofing um, stages in the oven you can set, but I am, um, I find that that will often get too warm. 
And so I really recommend that you just um, put it on your counter. And if your house is 60 degrees or below, likely you're going to take a couple hours. Now, if your house is 80 degrees and it's you live in a moist climate, it might take just an hour. Okay, so what you're going to do after it's had its second rising, you take, or the first rising, excuse me, you take the dough, you put it on your counter, and now you're going to shape the dough as you wish. So you can divide it in half and make two loaves, and it'll fit in pans approximately 8 by 4 by 2. Or you can make the whole thing into dinner rolls. Or you can make half of it a loaf and then take the other half and divide it into dinner rolls. And I do like this loaf egg washed. I think it gives it a nicer color. And it's not going to affect the flavor, but it's just more of it gives it a little a shiny golden color. And um, what you want to do now is preheat your oven to about 350 degrees. And if you have three racks in there, pull out one of the oven racks. And I tell you why. Because after your loaves come out of the oven, I want you to take them out of the pan and put them on the racks. And that way you just sort of avoid a soggy bottom. And because the dinner rolls are so much smaller, you don't have to worry about that. Okay, so now the dough is going to undergo the second rising, which takes place in the pan. Or if you're doing dinner roll, it's on the, the sheet pan. And it really should rise just about even with the pan. Um, and it, it really depends, once again, on the warmth of the room and the, and the kneading process. So the second rising generally is going to take about 15 to 30 minutes. Okay, so now um, your dough is in the pan. It's done the second rise, or your dinner rolls are on that sheet pan. They're all ready to go in the oven. And so you try to separate them in the oven the best you can. So put one on the bottom and one on the top. And I would recommend you put the loaf version on the bottom and the dinner rolls on the top. Um, just because they're smaller and sometimes the ovens, the heat will come up from the bottom and it'll burn the bottom of the um, dinner rolls or they're overbaked just a little bit. Okay, so then you're going to bake at until the loaves or the dinner rolls reach 180 degrees. And so what that means is that I would suggest you buy a thermometer and it's... I mean, a meat thermometer works too. So whatever you got, the thermometer, as long as it's not a candy thermometer, they start at 220 degrees. <laughs> we accidentally bought some of those for the bakery. And so, and these things you can buy at any grocery store. And so it's like five to $7. Anyway, so you take that thermometer, poke it in the bottom and it should in the middle, right? Because it's going to be underbaked, it's going to be in the middle. And the ends will finish baking first. And if it gets to 180 degrees, then you know you're good to go. Okay, so this is where you have your wire rack out and you just put the loaf on that and let it cool for about an hour or so before slicing. Although you don't really have to, but you should. Um, and the reason why is because if you try to slice it into really, really hot bread, what happens is it kind of like all the steam in it and it kind of turns it back to doughy and gets a little bit mushy. Um, but like I said, you don't have to wait. I mean, the nice thing about baking at home, you can tear off a chunk immediately, put some butter on it and enjoy your creation. Okay, so the serving suggestions for this loaf is um, I really like it during the Thanksgiving or your holiday season, December. Um, it's nice toasted. Um, I also think it makes incredibly festive sort of French toast. So we'll do French toast out of our Appleton cereal mainly all year long until around um, Thanksgiving and Christmas when we've got this loaf, and then we'll do French toast out of that. And it really makes it, um, it's an interesting French toast. It's good. Very delicious. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. And I hope everyone has a wonderful Thanksgiving 
filled with delicious baked goods. And as always, I welcome any and all feedback. And I'm new at this podcast scene, so trust me, I appreciate constructive criticism. Um, and that's all how we improve, right? So please let me know. Um, bread at houseofbread.com. And happy baking, everybody.